This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, May 8th, 2020. On this day in 1973, Native American activists surrendered to federal authorities, marking the end of a historic 71-day standoff at Wounded Knee. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the final day of the American Indian Movement's Siege of Wounded Knee in South Dakota. Now let's go back to the Oglala Lakota Pine Ridge Reservation on the morning of Tuesday, May 8, 1973. A bell tolled from the steeple of a small white church perched atop a hill, echoing across the barren, windswept fields of Wounded Knee, South Dakota. The church's walls were riddled with bullet holes, a tattered American flag strung upside down, whipped in the wind. And soon, the chapel doors opened. Dozens of Native Americans, members of the Oglala Lakota tribe, and activists from other Native American nations filed out onto the dead, yellow grass. They took in the sight of the empty plains. They inhaled. The air was crisp, clean. It was a strange moment. After months of constant gunfire, the activists had grown used to the echoing crack of bullets and the acrid smell of napalm. Now it was eerily still, peaceful almost. It had been ten weeks since they occupied the small town of Wounded Knee at the Pine Ridge Reservation. And though it felt like centuries, the reason for their siege was still fresh in their minds. That previous winter... Unrest among the Oglala Lakota tribe came to a head when the people attempted to impeach their corrupt tribal president, Dick Wilson. Wilson was an assimilationist, a mixed-race man with a preference for other mixed-race Lakotas. His priorities lay not with protecting his people's culture, but with outside investors capable of lining his administration's pockets. The Oglala Lakotas feared that after centuries of outside oppression under Wilson's leadership, their way of life would finally be erased from the inside. So when their formal attempts to remove Wilson collapsed, they took radical measures. Members of the tribe reached out to the American Indian Movement, or AIM. AIM was a militant civil rights organization, born out of the same 1960s revolutionary spirit as the Black Panthers. It was led by two Native Americans. Dennis Banks, a contemplative man and Chippewa from Minnesota, and the charismatic Russell Means, also an Oglala Lakota. 
Together, AIM and the Oglala people decided to take up arms and lay siege to the small town of Wounded Knee, the site of the infamous 1890 massacre of more than 300 peaceful Lakota by U.S. troops. On February 27, 1973, 200 armed activists occupied the town and took 11 associates of Dick Wilson hostage. They built barracks, dug trenches, and posted sentries to stand guard over the town's borders. Then they waited. It didn't take long before a swarm of federal marshals descended on the reservation. That's when the activists made their demands known. They were simple launch a federal investigation into Dick Wilson's corrupt administration and honor the historic treaties the U.S. government had made and broken with Native American nations since the 19th century. But instead of peaceful negotiation, what ensued was a vicious standoff. For 10 weeks, the activists and authorities traded gunfire day and night, the weapons used by the two parties, however, were far from equal. The law's machine guns rained down on activists armed with little but single-shot rifles. Federal marshals surrounded the area, blocking the activists' supplies and cutting off their electricity and water. They were forced to ration, eventually restricting themselves to only one half meal per day. By late April, two protesters were dead, and the remaining activist ammunition was nearly spent. What began as a political demonstration developed into a full war of attrition. The occupiers were willing to die, but their resistance was now a suicide mission. And so they began negotiations. Federal agents smoked peace pipes with tribal elders in old teepees, the feds agreed to arrange a meeting with White House representatives to discuss their demands if the siege ended. And so on Tuesday, May 8th, after 71 days, they laid down their weapons. That morning was gray and sullen as the church bell tolled, announcing their surrender. The activists walked down the plains toward enemy lines, weary and half-starved, but with their heads held high. At least 120 protesters were arrested, including Ames leaders Russell Means and Dennis Banks. Their fight was far from over. Coming up, the tragic outcome of the occupation at Wounded Knee. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On May 8, 1973, after a 71-day standoff with federal authorities at Wounded Knee, South Dakota, Native American activists laid down their weapons and surrendered. They'd started their occupation with two demands. They wanted the U.S. government to honor its broken treaties with Native American nations 
and to investigate the corrupt tribal leader of the Oglala Lakota, Dick Wilson. But after 71 long days, they were outmanned, outgunned, and quickly running out of supplies. The protesters agreed to accept a minor concession from the feds and turn themselves over. Russell Means and Dennis Banks, the American Indian movement organizers who led the siege, were among those arrested. But in September of 1973, both men, as well as almost every other detained activist, were acquitted. During trial, the federal prosecution illegally manipulated key evidence and witnesses in an attempt to cover up military involvement in the occupation's suppression. For these reasons, presiding judge Fred J. Nickel dismissed all charges, calling the prosecution's misconduct offensive to our traditional notions of justice. Justice wouldn't be served at Pine Ridge either. The end of the siege was just the beginning of several years of community violence, dubbed the Reign of Terror. At the end of the occupation, Dick Wilson told reporters, if the FBI don't get them, the Oglalas will. We have our own way of punishing people. We'll take care of them. And that's exactly what Wilson did. After he was re-elected as tribal president, he promptly used his power to exact revenge on the members of his tribe who attempted to depose him. Over the next three years, Wilson's corrupt police force attacked supporters of the siege and killed more than 60 people. In no time at all, Pine Ridge's murder rate skyrocketed, becoming the highest per capita in the entire country. And in a cruel twist of irony, the federal authorities turned a blind eye to the violence, claiming that tribal self-determination kept them from intervening. This was the extent of the U.S. government's acknowledgement of the nation's historic treaties. And despite promises to discuss them with tribal elders, no further steps were taken. However, the events at the Wounded Knee occupation did attract widespread attention and support, reviving the Native American civil rights movement and ultimately leading to sweeping change on a national scale. Though authorities had tried their best to shut down media coverage of the siege, some journalists and photographers had infiltrated blockades and documented events from the inside. Their reporting would later capture the nation's attention and even the support of various high-profile figures. Most famously, actor Marlon Brando sent Apache activist Sasheen Littlefeather to the 1973 Academy Awards, where she declined to accept his Best Actor Award for The Godfather in protest. But Brando and Littlefeather were far from the only ones responding to the standoff. The protest directed global attention to Native American oppression and became an inspiration for civil rights activism across the nation. As a result, landmark progress was made in federal policy, including the Indian Self-Determination Act of 1975 and the Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978. Still today, few people know about the Wounded Knee Occupation of 1973. The events of those 10 weeks have faded from the nation's memory. The bullet-ridden church still stands on the hill, however, proof that the ideals it represents managed to persist, even in the face of impossible odds. 
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this one, check out ParCast Original, The Dark Side of. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Alex Garland, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 